Hello and welcome to our podcast, Boozy Books and Movies, where my wife and I are going to get really drunk and talk about books and then how they compare to their movie or TV show counterparts. Last week, we started discussing a new book, The Outsider. We found out about a gruesome murder and a suspect being arrested. We ended our discussion on Chapter 1, Section 5. If you didn't listen to the previous episode, go back and have a listen. Now, let's continue our discussion in the middle of Chapter 1, Section 5. So, Section 5... That was all I had on That's Section all you five. have? So, <laughs> I uh, have the ending, so... Uh, Trevor Michaels was batting, and then he was interrupted by the rest of Terry, obviously. Mm. And so Terry was escorted off the field, and then Trevor Michaels is like, all right, fuck it. So he hits the ball harder than he has ever hit the ball before in his life. But it was a line drive and caught immediately. The game was over, and the the Dragons lost. The Golden Dragons lost the game, the tournament, and they'll never go on to the the finale or whatever. So I thought that was kind of interesting that... (laughs) <laughs> the kid, he hit... I thought I, when I was reading, I was like, oh, this kid's going to hit the ball, hit a home run. No, fucking win caught. Yeah, no. So they didn't win the game. They lost, and Terry's team sucks ass. But doesn't matter, because Terry's going to be interrogated. Yeah. Section six. This is a short one for me. I don't know about you. Uh, yeah, I literally have one sentence, I think. Okay, cool. So this is another statement um, by another pe- person mm-hmm. of the community. It's by June Morris. Oh, yeah, because there's a lot of fluff in this section, I feel like. It's Probably. Like, this one is just like, it goes on. Yeah. So It does go on for like four pages. And but I, I feel like, like it's not that important. No, I have one sentence. I, I have a couple. So, <laughs> so June Morris is this younger girl she's accompanied by her mother in the interview she's nine yeah okay she's nine yeah um i have that there's a lot of fluff but essentially june morris is allowed to go down the street by herself to see her friend named helen Mm -hmm. um and so by her parents even though she's nine so i have that one evening or whatever on the evening in question um she was going to see her friend helen they were working on a day camp project on South America because obviously it was July um, when this took place. So there wasn't any school, but they had a summer camp or whatever. And so they were working on a project. And when her... So usually when she goes to her friend Helen's house, um, June's father would come walk her home um, because usually it'd be, you know, dark. Um, so Francine is June's mother. Um, she said that it probably would have been 6.15 that June Morris would have been doing this. Um, so June says that she saw Terry walking out of the woods with a lot of blood on him. Um, he said it was just a bloody nose, but Terry left in a white, dirty van. This is kind of interesting, though, because the lady at the, the old lady at the supermarket, that was at 3 p.m. 3 p.m. That he got into the van, which that seems just like a long time. And you, we kind of get into that a little bit. Um, In there. That's like mm-hmm. three hours. You're right. And so we are to it's assume... It's not take three hours to commit a murder. Well, you're right. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, but, haven't I mean, done it myself, but... <laughs> 
I mean, I don't know. So the kid gets into the van at three o'clock. They drive away down this avenue or whatever. And That's true. That they probably whatever didn't, happens like, immediately go to the park. And I don't know. The... You, you don't know yet. Right. So you know, well, six... that we don't really get an answer to in this section because we kind of think that the kid was killed at six o'clock. Yeah. And so he's fucking leaving the woods though, and yeah. it's at six fifteen. He is seen with blood on him. Which um, is probably about right, about the time the guy saw, heard the van start, and that was, yeah. Yeah. I think those, that timeline matches. Yeah, it. yeah. So that's just what I have, um, pretty much, uh, and then uh, Ralph Anderson put six f- pictures of different people, or suspe- suspects, on the table, and he wanted June Miller, or sorry, <laughs> June Morris, to tell him which one was the killer, um, and so she said number four, which they don't tell you right away who number four is, but later you find out that number four is Terry, a picture of Terry. Um, she pretty much just picks him out immediately because that's who she saw on that night. Mm-hmm. And that's section six. What do you mm-hmm. have? Anything else? That was, that was it? That was it. Cool. So section seven is also a kind of a short one for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you. Well, yeah. I had a section that I wanted to read, I think. Go for it. So I just had, they put Terry into the car and then read starting here. Starting to, Ralph, listen to me, and this is Terry saying that. Mm -hmm. Ralph was looking straight ahead. His hands were clenched tightly together. You can talk all you want down at the station. Hell, let him tell it, Ramaj said. Save us all some time. Shut up, Troy, Ralph Ralph said. Still watching the road unroll, Terry could see two tendons standing out in the back of his neck, making the number 11. Ralph, I don't know what led you to me, or why do you want to arrest me in front of half the town, but you're totally off the rails. So say they all, Tommy Yates remarked from beside him in a just passing the time voice. Keep those hands in your lap, Maitland. Don't even scratch your nose. Terry's head was clearing now. Not a lot, but a little. And he was careful to do as Officer Yates had instructed. Yates looked as if he had, like, an excuse to take a poke at his prisoner, cuffs or no cuffs. So listen to me, Ralph, please. He sighed. Okay, I'm listening. We all are, Ramage said. Open ears, buddy, open ears. Frank Peterson was killed on Tuesday. Tuesday afternoon. It was in the papers. It was on the news. I was in Cap City on Tuesday. Tuesday night and most of Wednesday. Didn't get back until 9 or 9.30 on Wednesday night. Gavin Frick, Barry Julian, and Lukash Patel, Bebrier's father, practiced the boys both days. For a moment, there was silence in the car, not even interrupted by the radio, which had been turned off. Terry had a golden moment in which he believed, yes, absolutely, that Ralph would now tell the big cop behind the wheel to pull over. Then he would turn to Terry with wide, embarrassed eyes and say, oh, Christ, we really goofed, didn't we? <laughs> what Ralph said, still without turning around, was, ah, comes the famous alibi. What? I don't understand what you mean. You're a smart guy, Terry. I knew that from the first time I met you back when we were coaching Derek in Little League. If you didn't confess outright, which I was hoping for, but didn't really expect, I was pretty sure you'd offer some kind of alibi. He turned around at last, and the face Terry looked into was that of an absolute stranger. I'm equally sure we'll knock it down, because we've got you for this. We absolutely do. What were you doing in Cap City, Coach? He asked. And and all at once, the man who had told Terry to not even scratch his nose sounded friendly, interested. Terry almost told him what he'd been doing there, and then decided against it. Thinking was beginning to replace reacting, and he realized this car, with its fading aroma of enchiladas, was enemy en- wow, fuck. enemy territory. It was time to shut up until Howie Gold, his lawyer, arrived at the station. So then they're going to the station. Yep. That's, that's it. So driving to the station. In the vehicle. That's all mm-hmm. I have, too. So I just had that one quote. That I had a part of a quote that you had. So. Okay. Cool. 
so yeah, he's pretty much believes that he doesn't he didn't do it, and the cops believe that they did do it. Section number eight. Yep. Section number eight. So this is the statement of Carlton Scowcroft. Yep. Is that how you yep. pronounce That's it? How I would pronounce okay. it. Okay. So they get, she is it a boy? Is it a guy? Carlton. Carlton, Carlton yes. is a man. Yes. Carlton gave his this statement. This is Mr. Carlton. <laughs> You're right. So <laughs> Carlton gave his statement at 9:30 p.m. on July 12th. So yet again, we'll go back. So mm-hmm. the murder happens on July 10th. He gives mm-hmm. a statement on July 12th at 9:30 p.m. So working late, working overtime for sure. Mm-hmm. He says that at 7 p.m. So now we have the statements of a few people. So murder maybe happened at 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. The, she was seen at 6:15. So, 7 p.m., Carlton sees him. He is at Shorty's Pub, um, and he sees the white van. He saw Terry, but didn't remember his name. Terry had blood all over him. He noticed that the van had New York plates, like you were saying earlier. Mm -hmm. He had New York plates. Uh, The guy Carlton was with was Riley Franklin. Um, Mm -hmm. Riley Franklin called him Coach T and asked him how the other guy looked because of all the blood on his shirt. He was like, yo... See all the blood in your shirt? How's the other guy fucking look? Beat his ass, right, Terry? You know, Mr. Coach T? And Coach T responded, said, No, there was no other guy. It was just a bloody nose. I'm really innocent. Um, that's kind of interesting. I mean, down. it says that, that when he got in the van, he had a white shirt on and had blood on the front, only a little blood on his pants. Also, blood on his face, under his nose, and around his mouth and chin. So... I mean, it would kind of look like a massive bloody nose, but really that was... So, this person, everyone thinks it's Terry. Mm-hmm. I don't think it is. I don't think so either. Um, But that definitely, that is the person that killed Frankie. Yeah. Whoever this person that everyone saw, mm-hmm. that is the person who... I mean, because, I mean, we get into it a little bit later, but literally... Tore the kid's throat out with his teeth. So right. that would look that... That would look like a bloody nose. That because would, right, because it would be all over... His mouth. Yeah, all over your mouth, nose, chin, yeah, neck. Mm-hmm. Whoever, whatever creature did this, ripped yes. his throat out and did all the other stuff. So we'll find out later, but... Right. That's horrific stuff to this kid with, you know, so it would look like a bloody nose. So it's a good explanation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I just have that the two guys, Carlton and Riley, um, told Terry where the nearest fast care was, or like, oh, you know, yeah. prompt care. He's, he says, "Is I had to read this part. Sure. It says, is there any dock in the box anywhere around here? Dock in the box, that's funny. I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't either. Detective Anderson, which you took to mean a walk-in facility like a Mendow or Quick Care. Uh, Scowcroft, that's what he meant, all right, because he wanted to see if he needed it cauterized up there inside. Ouch, huh? Said he had it happened to him once before. I told him to go down to Burfield about a mile, then left at the second light and he'd see a sign. Then he asked if he could leave his van in that little parking area behind the pub, which is not for customers, as a sign on the back of the building says, but for employees. And I said, it's not my lot, but if you don't leave it too long, it should be all right. Then he says, and it struck both of us weird, times being what they are, that he'd leave the keys in the cup holder in case somebody had to move it. Riley said, that's a good way to get it stalled, Coach T., but he said again that he wouldn't be long and how about how someone might want to move it. You know what I think? I think maybe he wanted someone to steal it. Maybe even me or Riley. You think that could be a detective? And then 
Detective Anderson said what happened then, and then Scowcroft said he got into that little green Subaru and off he went, which also struck me as weird. What was weird about it? He asked if he could leave his van for a little while, like he thought it might get towed or something, but his car was there all along, safe and sound. Weird, right? And then he had a, like, every single person they interview, they show six foot, like a lineup of photographs, yep. and every single one picks out Coach T, like Terry yep. Maitland every single time. Mm-hmm. Wait, but they don't really, in, you know, say that it is Coach T until the very end. Um, they just say, oh, it's definitely this one. But they don't say that it actually is Coach T. I mean, but they literally said Coach T in yeah. the, like, right. he said he didn't recognize it. He, I think he called him Moreland, was what he said. And he's like, hmm. Coach Moreland or whatever. Oh, yeah, because this guy doesn't really know right. who Coach he T is. he doesn't really but, know him. But, yeah. I mean, everyone kind of knows who yeah. he is. I mean, he had a He's an upstanding member idea. of the community, yeah. Right. So, Section 9. Section 9. I have that Coach T and... All the other police officers who were back on the vehicle, mm-hmm. they arrive to the police station. Uh, Ralph Anderson turns around in the car and asks Terry why he chose Frankie Pe- Peterson. Terry didn't really retaliate, and that's when Marcy shows up. I don't know. Do you have a lot of details on this section? No. Nope. I, all I have is Ralph tried to get Terry to talk, but all he said was, I think I'll wait for my lawyer. Yeah. And then Terry's wife had followed them to the police station, and Terry told her to... Call Howie, who's Howie the Gold, lawyer. Howie Gold, lawyer, yep. Mm-hmm. That's all I have. And I, I just have that, you know, other than that, Marcy Maitland was, you know, his wife. She arrived and started shouting at Ralph, saying a bunch of shit. You know, how how dare you do this? And, you know, it, it's fucking Terry. Like, he could never do this and that kind of stuff. But right. Terry told Marcy to call Howie. And then that's when Terry was shoved away inside of the police station, as we're to assume. And Ralph told Marcy to go home. That's that section. Yep. Section Section 10 is the statement of Mr. Riley Franklin, who was the guy who was out back at the bar with the other guy. The other guy, which was Carlton Scowcroft or whatever. So the the other guy that was there, not a whole lot going on. It's pretty much the same viewpoint. So and this statement was July 13th, so the morning afterwards at 7.45 a.m. So they literally probably... The Scowcroft guy, that was probably the last guy they interviewed at 9.30 p.m. and then got up and got him to, inter- you know, interview in the morning. Yep. So, Anderson asked Riley which man out of six photos was the one he saw behind Shorty's pub, and he said it was Coach T. Yep. That one. Yep. Coach T. Anderson shows six pictures, and mm-hmm. Franklin says that he doesn't need to see any pictures because he already knows that it was Terry. He's mm-hmm. very confident that it was Coach T, and... And this guy says, so Franklin says that he should be hanged instead of the needle. Yeah. Uh, he says that sick motherfucker needs to die. Oh, and Colton got the hiccups. Yep. And I gave him like 15 minutes to stop them and he couldn't. So yep. unfortunately, you're just going to have to deal <laughs> with the hiccups. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It's awful. <laughs> I got it under control. <laughs> section 11 yeah section 11 uh marcy terry's wife pulled into a burger king parking lot and took her phone out to call howie gold howie and terry coached together i didn't realize he coached baseball together yeah they said they coached together that's cute they were friends so marcy told howie what happened 
and he said he was going to the station and for her to go home and to not say anything to the police. He told her that the police will have a list of things that they want to take, but that she should not give them her phone, even if they ask for it, because that is her property, not his. Anything that's his property can be taken, but not hers. And that's all I have for section 11. That's pretty much it. Howie tells her that she should only give the police the items that are on the warrant, not her phone, or the kids' phones. So, for section 12, I have one sentence. Um, I know there's a lot that happens in it. Just, like, summarize it, because I was trying to, like, condense it. Uh, uh, All I have is a statement of Mr. George Zerny, Zerny. July 13th at 8.15 a.m. He found a green Subaru near his fishing spot, and it had bloody shoes and clothes sitting in it. George Zerny's statement occurred at 8.15 on July 13th. It isn't Anderson that conducts this interview. That's kind of important to know. It's Ronald Wilberforce. I don't know who that is. He never comes up again, but he conducts the interview and he asked George what he was doing this morning. George George said that he was going to start fishing off of Iron Bridge out on Old Forge Road. There is a fence that usually blocks access to the water, but George found a little green car parked on the edge of the boat landing through the fence. He investigated and found bloody clothes in the passenger seat. Maybe it was a different person that interviewed because maybe this spot was technically under a, in a different city or town. And maybe it would have been a different, like, you know, under somebody else's jurisdiction. Section 13. Yep. We're back to Terry. Scary Terry sitting in the interrogation room. Bill Samuels, the, the guy from earlier. Bill. Bill. Oh, we never got his first name oh, before. Yeah. I think his name we, is Bill. Bill Samuels, he's the, Bill Samuels is the DA or whatever, what did did you say it was? District Attorney. District Attorney. Yeah, DA. District Attorney. That's the same thing. Bill Samuels, he comes in to talk to Ralph. Terry refused DNA testing. Apparently, DNA is invasive, um, so they can't force DNA testing. But fingerprints are not invasive in this state. So, Bill says it doesn't matter because the police will collect his razor and his toothbrush from his home. That will have his Mm -hmm. DNA on it anyways, so it doesn't really matter if he gives a DNA sample. Ralph is there, but I put that he... Ralph is there, but I put that he starts to be uneasy about this arrest going so quickly. Bill and Ralph enter to talk to Terry, even though he will not talk back to them. That's all I have. (laughs) Okay. So, I just have that Ralph had papers that showed that 57 fingerprints on the car found matched Terry Maitland's fingerprints. And that's all I have for section 13. Section 13, lucky number 13, let's go. Statement of Ms. Willa Rainwater. Rainwater. Yep. July 13th at 11.40 a.m. She's a cab driver. Yep. This is what happened starting at 8.30 p.m. That Maitland was wearing blue jeans, nice yellow button-up shirt, and a horse's head belt buckle. I have that Willow Rainwater... She's a taxi driver. She arrived to this club called Gentlemen Please at 8.30. It took me a while to figure out, like, the that was the name of the... Like, I always thought it was... Like, at first I thought it was just gentlemen, and then I kept... Why does she keep saying please after it? And then I realized that, oh, the name of the club is Gentlemen, comma, please. Yep. So she arrives. She arrives at this club at 8.30, and she says that she likes to arrive... Early before all the other taxi drivers because she likes to read on her Kindle before her first fare. Um, So she was on the cab there and she saw Terry walk into the bar. And then, I don't know, do you have something else? Why I have to read a section. Sure. This starts with Rainwater saying, Oh yeah, discretion may be somebody's middle name, but it ain't mine. I say, 
Hey there, Terry. Does your wife know where you are tonight? And he says, I had a spot of business to do. And I say, would your spot of business have involved a lap dance? And he says, you should call in and tell your dispatcher. I'm all set. So I say, I'll do that. Are we headed home, Coach T? And he says, not at all, ma'am. Drive me to Dubrow, the train station. I say, that's going to be a $40 fare. And he says, make it in time for me to catch the train to Dallas and I'll tip you 20 So I say, jump in and hold on to your jock, Coach. Here we go. Detective Anderson, so you drove him to the Amtrak station in Dubrow? Rainwater, I did indeed. Got in there in plenty of time to catch the night train to Dallas-Fort Worth. And then Anderson says, did you make conversation with him on the way? I asked because you seem like the conversational type. Rainwater says, oh yeah, I am. My tongue runs like a supermarket conveyor belt on payday. Just got, just ask anybody. I started asking about the city leak tour. They, were they going to beat the bears? And he said, I expect good things. Like getting an answer from a magic eight ball, right? I bet he was thinking about what he'd done and making a quick getaway. Stuff like that must put a hole in your small talk. My question for you, detective, is why the hell did he come back to FC? Why didn't he run all the way across Texas and down to old me, Mexico? Oh, Mexico. Ah, I didn't get that until I read it out loud. It says M-E-H-H-E-E-C-O. Until I read it out loud, I didn't realize she said Mexico. Okay. Detective Anderson, what else did he say? Rainwater, not much. He said he was going to try and catch a nap. He closed his eyes, but I think he was faking. And I think he might have been peeking at me. Like, maybe he was thinking of trying something. I wish he had. And I wish I'd known then what I know now about what he'd done. I would have pulled him out of my cab and tore off his plumbing. I ain't lying. Detective Anderson, and then when you got to the Amtrak station... Rainwater. I pulled up to the drop-off and he tossed three twenties on the front seat. I started to tell him to say hello to his wife, but he was already gone. And then, you know, they put the lineup of pictures in front of her and she picked out Terry Mayland again. And that was the end of that section. Yep. Section 15. I have, like, two sentences. Back to present day. Yes. Yep. So, I have, there were cop cars in Marcy's driveway and they made her park on the curb. Reporters showed up, but they all got inside without saying anything to them. Um, then the officers went through the house, ripping it to pieces. I have some other information. Okay. I have some I know there's notes. a lot more that happened, but well, I was yeah, really not, trying not to... Well, yeah, not as much important. So, something that I kind of think <clears throat> is maybe important is that Marcy stated that she had to pee really badly. Right. So, that kind of comes up later. The So, Detective Betsy Riggins and the Flint City Police had a search warrant for her husband's possessions, but the warrant did not have any specific items listed. Howie had told her to make sure that she only gives them the stuff that are specifically listed on the warrant, but this warrant didn't have anything listed on it, so she was very confused. Um, so she questioned them, and they said that they'll just take whatever they need because of this case and how horrendous it is and that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, news trucks pulled up, a blonde reporter jumped out and tried to ask Marcy questions. So that kind of frazzled Marcy. So she wasn't really able to put the key in the lock because she was shaking really badly, but eventually she got in um, and she let in the police officers and stuff and the um, reporter stayed outside. Uh, I just put that the detectives probed the bathroom first because Marcy... And one of the detectives that was also pregnant, that, that one of the detectives was pregnant mm-hmm. and she needed to go to the bathroom. And then Marcy also needed to go to the bathroom. And so the detective said, hey, why don't you search the bathroom first so we can go to the bathroom? Right. So, yep. Section 15. Yep. Done. 
Thanks for listening, and you can find us on Instagram under Boozy Books and Movies. That is all spelled out, no spaces. Our Twitter is at Boozy Book Movie. Our email is boozybooksandmovies at gmail.com. And our PayPal uses that email also if you'd like to donate to us. Thanks so much, and don't forget to listen every Monday. Thank you for listening to this episode of Boozy Books and Movies. Tune in next week to continue the story of The Outsider, starting with Chapter 1, Section 16.